0: Exercise. all right so we are in a, a new series i've uh, started it last week and the series is the one and others and we're looking at all of the one and others that are in the scriptures so we have roughly 61 and others they are um they are all kinds of different things be devoted to one another, serve one another, love one another, welcome one another, build up one another, serve one another, um, commit to one another today, pray for one another is the focus of our our time today. And as I was thinking about this topic, it reminded me of our our HVAC system, our heating and ventilation and air conditioning system in this room right here. So just so you know, um, I don't have a very good sniffer, but last week, uh, a number of people said, did you realize there was a, well, a stench in the air in the sanctuary? And I'm like, I didn't know that, but a number of people thought there was. Well, let me tell you the backstory to that, and it up applies to the sermon, I promise. So um, with this, oh, this is our thermostat over here on this wall, and ever since I've been here, I remember the My first time, I was getting oriented to the building by a man named Jim Colville, for those of you who know him. He's since moved to Missouri, but Jim showed me, this is how you control the temperature in this room. And there's another thermostat on the outside of this wall that's a dummy thermostat that's disconnected. Okay, fine, so we use this. That's the only thing we've ever used here on this wall. Well, we had a tech out to to work on the system because it wasn't working right this last week before. And he he basically said, that we actually have two units out here behind us, and this operates one, and then that thermostat operates the other one. And so for this whole time I've been here, we've been trying to heat this room with one of the two units rather than having them work together. So it's been working extra hard. And so he did his magic, and he linked those two things together. And um, that happened like on Friday afternoon, and the first time we turned the furnace on to where they both were working was Sunday morning. And so that meant that what you smelt was um, the first use of that, at least in the last five years, that HVAC system. And, um, and so it's now been properly cleaned and um, purified, so there's no issues there. But um, the way this ties in, and it does tie in, the way it ties in is basically we were, um, we were underutilizing the, the resource that we had here in this building. We were, trying to, um, we were trying to overdo one system while another one was laying there dormant. And now that they're both working together, they probably are not working very hard at all, but the room heats up a lot quicker and Lord willing, in the summer, it'll cool down a lot quicker and it will keep the, the temperature where it needs to be. And why that's important is because I wanna just kind of point out that for us, um, as followers of Jesus, when, when prayer is not a, a, a very regular rhythm in our own lives, we are underutilizing uh, the, the, the primary resource that God has given to us to commune with him, to stand in the gap for one another. And I think when we, we, we forget or we leave out or we parse out prayer from our regular life, um, we're, we're running real hard on one system and we're wearing some, one system out and that system isn't meant to, meant to do all that work. It's meant to be in conjunction with, with um, a prayer life. And so with that, join me in prayer as we, we launch in today. Father, I thank you for the, the gift of, um, the gift of your son, gift of your spirit uh, thank you for the gift of the fellowship of believers that we have here. I thank you for the gift of prayer and and Lord, I pray as we go through today our, our hearts would be strengthened and we would be equipped and challenged and uh, encouraged in, in how we lean in and pray for one another Uh, we pray this in jesus name amen amen so james we're in james five primarily james five it says says this is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick There are many layers to this particular text and we'll cover a few of them but we're primarily just honing in and focusing on the pray for one another portion of this and so as we jump in here this might seem a little bit like where are we going with this but it's it's imperative to this process as we talk about prayer we have to really understand that theology precedes our prayer Now, theology this study of god his nature his characteristics um, theology per, per, precedes our prayer, so Scripture is full with all kinds of different types of prayers. There's praying for people. There's commands on how we are to pray, how we should pray. One example is Philippians 4:6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First Thessalonians 5:17. Pray without ceasing. So. We talk about prayer, we have to hit the basics for a moment. What is prayer? Prayer simply is talking with God, talking with God. So this includes things like worship, or worship in its sense is a prayer, prayer for needs, my needs and others' needs, Um, prayer for my worries, burdens, prayers of confession, prayers, prayers for receiving forgiveness, prayers for wisdom, prayers for God's will in my life, prayers for my relationships, and, and uh, all the responsibilities that we have. Now, um, there is a, a survey that was went out. For, uh, Christians, on average, for, um, four minutes a day is the average time that Christians pray, four minutes a day. Um, ministers, seven minutes a day is on average. All of that is, those are pretty, pretty sad, pathetic numbers, especially when you think that Scripture commands us to pray, Scripture calls us to pray without ceasing, and I don't think four or seven minutes fulfills that command. So why is it? Why is it that, that we pray so little? There's probably a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is, um, might say, I don't know how to pray. I just don't understand how long should I pray? What words should I use? What topics should I, should I cover? Um, there's the Lord's Prayer. So the disciples, they asked Jesus how they are to pray. Um, they wanted to do it right. They wanted to do it like him. So they kind of asked for um, the formula on how they should pray. But a lot of times people don't pray because they just, they don't know how to do it. They're got test anxiety or something along those lines. Another reason would be uh, my prayers are, are not significant. My prayers aren't significant. Um, a lot of people will say, God is just going to do what he's going to do. Why does what I have to say matter? My prayers won't change that. My, my prayers are also, they're insignificant compared to the needs of other people. So why would, why would I pray? Um, my prayers aren't significant. Thirdly, big one here, I'm not worthy to ask God for anything. I'm not worthy for it. Uh, I've created the mess, maybe you think this, I've created the mess that I'm in and it would not seem right for me to go and pray because I created this. I'm almost deserving of this and so... So I'm not really worthy to ask God, or I've done this thing in my past, and so I, I'm just not worthy to. I'm not worthy to 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 go before God with these requests. Uh, and then the last one I'll notice here is the fourth one. I'd rather do stuff. I'd rather do stuff for God than talk about that stuff. I'd rather do things than talk about things. And maybe being that we're in North County and almost all of us um, really enjoy using our hands and to do things, we might fall into this category. But look at Martin Luther, he said this. He goes, I have so much to do today, I need to spend two hours in prayer instead of just one. There's so much to do, because I have so much, I better pray more than I normally would, is what he's saying. Luke, Luke 5, 15 and 16 says, But the news about him, that's Jesus, was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away. He'd often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And I think that's such a a strong message for all of us. If our Savior, who is God in the flesh, needs to break away to pray amidst the the constant pressures of, of life, wow, what an example that is for us. So those are some of the reasons why people don't pray, but really when it boils it down, the real issue is because of bad theology, a bad theology or an incomplete or a wrong understanding of who God is. Because my understanding of God has a direct connection to my prayer life and your understanding of God and his character and his natures has a direct connection to to your prayer life. Uh, there, there was, a, there was a, um, an interview going on with a comedian, and uh, this comedian was, was brought up the fact, or actually the one who was interviewing, um, asked him a question, and he, he responds basically by saying, I've been accused of being arrogant because I don't pray, was his, was his, was his comment. And um, he said this, he said, what could be more arrogant than praying to a God who didn't stop the Holocaust, thinking that he'd help me find my keys, is what he said. Um, What that is, is bad theology. It's a wrong understanding of who God is and why things happen the way that they happen. And unfortunately, that theology of his affected or infected his prayer life. And really the same thing proves true for all of us. Our view and our understanding of God is directly related to how we see him and know him within his characteristics. And so if our prayer life is, is maybe quite anemic, it might be that we've got disconnected with the nature of the one who created us to be in community with, with him. And so, just to give a, a, a real brief theology lesson, who is God? Who is he? He is he's holy. He is holy, which means I can talk to him, and when I do, I talk to him with reverence and worship, because he is, he is separate from me, because he is holy. But he also is sovereign, which is an awesome concept. He's sovereign, he is in control when I have no idea what is going on in life. He's in control. I personally have leaned on this in my prayers in the last few weeks, in the last few months. He's in control. Uh, So with that, I can pray for his perfect will in my life, knowing that even his perfect will might mean it'll bring in some hard lessons, some pain through that, because he's sovereign. He's in control. Um, He's salvation. This is good. He's salvation. So I can trust in him. He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. Um, I I, I can confess to him, and I can accept, accept grace from him because He's God of salvation. He's omnipotent. Omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful and because he's all powerful, I can bring all of my needs to him, all of them, because he has the power to bring about the proper response to that prayer. He's also omniscient. He knows all things. So with that understanding of who God is, the fact that he knows all things, what does that mean for me? That means, that I can pray for wisdom, like James tells us to do. I can ask for wisdom, and I'm not asking just in a vacuum. I'm asking the God who knows all things. He's also omnipresent. He is, as we're going to come up on the, the Christmas season, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's right here. He's right with us now. He's omnipresent. He is involved. He is involved, and He is around, and He's not oblivious to the... On, the ongoing details of each of our lives. He's Creator. He is the Creator. So when I have health issues, when things aren't going right in my my body or in my emotions or in my my personality, I can talk to Him about it because He's the one that formed me. He's the one that created me and you. And because of that truth, we can bring those things to Him. He's compassionate. I talk to Him about my hurts. I can talk to him about my burdens and my stresses. I can bring all of these things to him because he's a compassionate God. And it's comforting to know he's compassionate for my needs towards me, but he's also compassionate towards those that are my enemies. He's compassionate towards those that are in opposition. He's compassionate because he's compassionate. And his compassion is not parsed away only for certain people. God is compassion. He is compassionate. He's also just. He is just. Don't like this one so much. He is just. So with that, I could take to him the injustices that I see in the world or the injustices that are taking place in my, my town or my life or my church or any aspect of the world in which we live in. He is just. He's also faithful He will keep every single promise that he has made. He is faithful. He is faithful when we are not faithful. He is always faithful no matter what. You can connect the faithfulness to any of the rest of these individually, and it brings a great deal of groundedness because of his faithfulness. And the last one I'll mention, there's so many more, is he's a loving father. He's a loving father. So with that, I can talk to him intimately. I can bring all things to him. Um, I can bring issues in my head and my heart. There is nothing too small or too insignificant to bring before him, lost keys or not. He is a loving father. Who, who of us, if we have a son and that son asks them for bread, will give us him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to the, those who ask him? Ask him. So um, prayer is such an awesome opportunity. Every time we go to pray, whatever the circumstances that we find ourselves in, to be reminded, to be reminded of the, the nature and the character of God. And as we do that, it, it, it writes our theology. It sets us on the correct course, and it will inform the way that we pray. It it will help us to push aside all of the formulas that we might think that we have to follow and just talk with a loving Father who is holy and who is strong and who is compassionate and just. Really, prayer, it involves a great deal of faith, doesn't it? It involves faith to have a thriving prayer life because we have faith in these things that we just talked about beautiful thing about prayer is when we get this and we get God in all of his fullness, we understand that God will always do what is best. And since I'm his child, that means he will always do what is, what is best for me. It's a hard concept to grasp when we think of the hard things that happen in our lives. Even if I don't understand it now, even if it's not the outcome that I wanted, he will always do the things which are best because he is the sovereign god who is in control of all things we've all i'm sure experienced the prayers when we we ask for something and we don't get the things that we want but then we later we later on find out that if he would have answered the prayer for us, it probably would have brought more harm or pain into, into our life. So by him not answering some prayers, he's actually protected us from certain harms that might've come into our life. It could be a relationship, it could be a success, it could be um, anything really at that, at that moment. And I think it'll be fun when we're in heaven, right? We're in heaven and we get to go and we get to ask God, you know, why didn't you answer this prayer? And, and, and God will be able to show us the, the things in our life where he was really involved and we thought things were really bad, um, but he was there and he kept them from getting even better, <laughs> even worse. He kept it from that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's exciting to think about that, one of those questions. So just imagine, if he did give us every single thing that we asked for, um, every desire, every relationship, all the money, all the stuff, an easy path in life, that would make prayer a pretty dangerous thing, a pretty um, dangerous tool in our life. Really, when we, when we think about our prayer life, there's, there's a, a big obstacle to our prayer life. So the biggest obstacle to a good prayer life or a great prayer life is bad theology because just a little bit of bad theology just a little bit of it will mess up our prayer life we can say i believe that god is all powerful but he is not concerned with my little problems that's bad theology we can say "I, i did something that he told me not to do it blew up on me why would he help me do that these these are this is bad theology this is not taking in the wholeness of god's character wholeness of his character so the good news about this is that the better our theology is the better our understanding of who God is and 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 what God is all about the more natural prayer, prayer becomes to us the the less complicated prayer becomes and the more meaningful we don't have to worry so much about the mechanics of prayer not that that's bad uh, not that you know you maybe have heard of the acts prayer which is adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication those are okay guides But we really don't have to worry about that when we stay focused on the character of God because, and this is so important, what we have to get about prayer is that prayer, prayer isn't about getting things from God. It's not about getting things from God. Prayer is about getting God himself, being with him, communing with him, getting him relationally and getting him theologically, getting getting him right in our lives it's a powerful thing I want to pause for just a moment give you just a moment to breathe quietly to yourself you have a list of attributes there Um, in the quietness of your own heart look at that list and I'll give you a moment just to commune with the Lord before I tarry on to point number two so I'll bring us back in just a minute or so. Okay, okay. Our theology precedes our prayer. It's so important to have good theology in order to have a good prayer life. And why is that important? Because we're called here. We're called here to pray for one another. That's the, that's the simple point, that's the takeaway for today, to pray, pray for one another. Is anyone among you sick? Suffering? Let them pray. Is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that they may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we look at this, it's simple. I know it seems elementary, but we need to pray for one another. It's imperative. Um, I I take great comfort in our, our, I don't know how many growth groups, our seven growth groups, 80 to 100 people that I know get together every single week and pray for one another. We may not have some of the traditional prayer services like others might have or churches this church in the past but i know that there's lots of prayer going on in our congregation because of that and the other small group gatherings that go around but it's imperative that we pray for one another because prayer is one of the best ways that we can love the other person Um, it's one of the best ways that we can serve them and one of the best ways that we can bless them is to bring them before the lord we don't leave prayer in our life. We, we don't leave it to chance. Um, we, we put it on our to-do list. We, we take things and we schedule it. We plan it out. It really becomes a, dif- a discipline for us as much as it is a rhythm for us. Our world today hates structure and hates discipline. Um, but the reality is, it's, if, if it's important, it's got to be put in your schedule. So so we not only need to pray for one another, we actually need to know what to pray for one another. We need to know the things to pray for for one another. So um, just as means of illustration, um, I wanted to point out um, Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci. Um, So you might not have known this about him. He carried around um, notepads. This is before they had iPads. So he carried around packages of paper. Um, they say that um, he had approximately 7,200 um, front and back stuffed pieces of paper, which was his journal that he would, he would write in. And so it was pretty interesting. It, it recorded all of his observations. He would make questions in there. He'd make drawings in there. He would do calculations. He'd keep his to-do list. And um, some, some observation for, for da Vinci came pretty naturally. And, and one writer said this. He said, his curiosity is like that of Einstein often was about phenomena that most people over the age of 10 no longer puzzle about. Why is the sky blue? How are the clouds formed? Why can our eyes see only in a straight line? What is is yawning? These are the types of things that da Vinci would look at. And one of the neat things I learned about da Vinci was that he was obviously famous in his day. Everyone knew who he was. Um, He didn't know everybody though, so he would make it a practice regularly to just go out on the street at a mealtime grab a handful of people come in to have a meal with him and his he had an ulterior motive for that so what he would do he was a great storyteller so he would tell jokes and he would get people to laugh and as he did that he would observe their face he would be studying their face and then he would tell a story that would make them cry and he would watch them very closely and As they cried, he'd watch their their eyes become moist, he'd watch that ball of fluid build and then break the edge of the eyelid and roll down the cheek. And he would do these kind of things and then he would record all of those details in, in in his notes. So the fruit of all of these notebooks resulted in things like the painting of the Last Supper, which is the most famous painting ever, the painting of the Mona Lisa, helicopters, tanks, parachutes, all kinds of different sculptures and architect and science and math, all that different stuff. Now, one of the biographers referred to um, Leo, uh, Leonardo's gift as this, he, goes, he says this, he was inhumanly, he had an inhumanly sharp eye, which is a nice phrase, but misleading. Leonardo was merely a human. His observational skill was not that of some superpower he possessed. Instead, it was the product of his own effort. That's important because it means that we can, if we wish, not just marvel at him, but try to learn from him by pushing ourselves to look at things with more curiosity and look at things more intensely. And and I bring all of that up for the purpose of, what if we were to do this with the people in our lives? What if we would look at the people in our lives with, with, with even a fraction of the intensity that Leonardo made towards other people so he would make his observations. What if that was the type of thing that we used to inform our prayer life for them? What if we really paid attention to them, asked questions and listened, listened hard, listened for answers, listened beyond the words, but listened to, listened to the heart. And then maybe we have to ask them again. I don't know if you've noticed this. You ask, how can I pray for you? And someone says, well, you pray for this. Um, but if you pursue, well, how can I really pray for you? Is there anything else? And as, as they start to, to you, the, the layers of the onion begin to peel away, as Shrek would say. That's what would take place. So um, think about that. What would it look like if we were to look at other people that way? Let's move on. Thirdly. Thirdly, be honest with one another. This is where we're going to back up and look at this again. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There, there's a whole lot of things going on here in this passage, um, but one thing we see is it reveals to us that there is a link between spiritual life and physical health, that some sin can cause sickness, confession. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, one of, uh, there's a Christian doctor who wrote a book called um, Dangerous Emotions, and he talked about how our emotions are directly tied to our health, and that, that he talked about heart disease has more to do with how people handle emotion than it does the food that they eat, and so there's this connection between these things, and so uh, there is a connection between, not every, not every sin is, is, is a result, or every sickness is a result of sin, but it certainly can be. And so that's why confession and prayer can lead to healing in these kinds of places. So, but, but, but here's, here's what the focus needs to be on. It really says here very clearly, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Question for you, I want everyone to think on this, get an opportunity to act upon this, what is your most important prayer request in your life right now? What is the most important prayer request that you have? You don't have to say anything out loud. I'm just letting you think on it. What is the most important prayer request that you have? Follow-up question is, Who is praying for that for you? Who knows about it? Oftentimes, um, our most important prayer requests involve sin that we're struggling with in our life. A bad decision, um, uh, something we're tempted to do, an attitude, gossip, prejudice, anger, pride, rebellion, Greed, jealousy. James says we need people to pray, not just for the surfacey things, not that those aren't important, but for the deep things, the things in which we need healing for. Physical healing is wonderful and it happens, the Lord does that. But spiritual healing is something that all of us need. problem here is that with with confession, I think, at least maybe it's only me, um, I can find this threatening. I can find it threatening. Um, What if the other person rejects me, um, unfriends me, tells others? What if they judge me? I have an interesting job, and um, one of the the joys of my job is being able to hear um, people's hearts. And oftentimes someone will come and they, you can tell they don't want to share something, but when they, when they finally share it, um, they share that deep thing in their heart, that thing that they're struggling with. And I can say every single time when someone does that. And for them, it's the most hideous thing. They, they finally have the courage to bring it up. I can say every single time that happens, when someone shares that with me, my love and respect them goes up. Because I know that what it takes for someone to to share something like that. And I believe that's the same for any of us. When someone is truly, now maybe we've been hurt in the past, I get that. But that wasn't from anybody else in this room, so it doesn't apply. But wow, what if we would be the type of people who would take this text very seriously, very literally, and we would Bring something to someone, confess it to them so that they can pray for us. Reality is we are all saints who sin, every single one of us. The times in which we live in, 2,000 years after Christ's sacrifice and the sending of his spirit to us, this world is still not sin-free. But the great news is is it is condemnation-free. It's condemnation-free and full of forgiveness but it's not sin-free. And we have to remember that because it's invaluable for us to take it serious enough to to confess it before another. When we don't, we know what happens. we see the the effects of sin, I know, people don't like to talk about sin. I've always told that if you talk about sin too much, your your attendance at church is going to go down. Well, that's okay. (laughs) <laughs> so scripture speaks to it and really this is the root of all our problems anyway so we should talk about it um, the effects of sin are everywhere sin in marriage family dynamics society within politics within churches schools workplaces and injustice the violence that is caused sickness in the body sickness in the mind addictions all of these things Um, The effects of sin are everywhere. Now, society's solution to this problem of all of those things um, is self-help. That's society's solution to to find a strategy to apply to life so that I can start practicing this to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and get going. Um, basically it implies that if we learn the right process or if we learn the right philosophy and we practice the right techniques, we will be able to fix all of the problems that we have in our lives. Now it is important to note that self-discipline and um, some strategies, educating ourselves, putting in effort, putting in hard work, those things do produce good stuff in our lives. There's nothing wrong with that. But the key problem is this, that in human nature, there's one thing that self-help can never, ever fix. Self-help can never fix the problem of sin. The only way that problem is fixed is through the gospel of Christ Jesus. And we get to deal with it, and James tells us, through prayer and confession, because that exposes us as sinners before another, and it really breaks us of our self-righteousness, which I think all of us could be broken in us, from time to time. Um, and it really it enables us to be in fellowship with other sinners that are saved by grace. And there's not a better thing than that, is to be with people that we understand our frailties, and yet we accept one another all the same. Because we're founded on a church that was founded on Christ's righteousness and not our own righteousness, which should be bring a great deal of comfort for us. Because it's his righteousness and not our own. I had a great, um, great opportunity, this is just such an emotional week this past week, and I got to go visit um, a longtime friend who I, I, I haven't heard today, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going to pass in the next day or two. And we had this, this just holy time, just he and I, and he was just lucid enough to be able to talk. And as, as we're talking, um, I was reading some scripture to him, and, and um, as I got to one of the scriptures, he stopped me just mid it was kind of rude, actually. I was in the middle of a sentence. And his in his very, very soft voice, he, right then and there, I think he was trying to find a way to inform my sermon, even though he didn't know I was preaching on this. He confessed a sin that he's been holding on to, a, a dark sin in his life. And he just, he said it in, in his broken, soft voice. And it was just like this moment of, of of joy and healing you could kind of see it even in his in his body which is just perishing and just about gone that he would just blurt this out as best as he could with as weak as he was and and what a what an awesome opportunity to have with him in those last moments of his life and what a gift he you know he brings to us here in his in his dying moments but you could see confession is is a powerful, powerful tool in our lives. It's a tool that God has given us to to unchain ourselves from the bondage that sin seems to have on us and keeps us pushed into the dark places. But when when the darkness is exposed to light, um, it's healed, it's taken care of by the the beauty that comes from the grace and forgiveness of of the gospel. So as as we close out, I want to ask the question again. What are the questions? What is most my most important prayer request at this time? Hopefully, you've thought of that. What is the most important prayer request at this time? Who is it that knows about that, and who is it that is praying for me? Who is it that knows about it, and who it is that prays for me? Little disclaimer here. I fully expect that I'll have a full email. Box of people wanting to meet this next week, um, which is beautiful, and I love that, and I'm always always available for that. Um, it's one of the gifts that God has given me in, in this job. But I want to challenge you to actually go to someone in your life um, that that knows you better than I know you. Someone from your growth group, um, someone in a small group setting, or maybe just someone in this room or in the overflow room that. Um, you know, I really believe that we are, as, are the body, and, and I believe wholeheartedly that um, you sharing with one another is probably probably a better thing than sharing it with me anyway. So I just want to challenge you. Take this very seriously. Scripture doesn't suggest it. It commands it. And what a, what, what a better thing we get to do as we close out this time is to, to celebrate the joy of communion together. And so I'm going to have Rob, he's going to come up and uh, lead us as as we commune with one another in the preparation of our Lord's coming.